You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brantford. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So James chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. So as you're turning there, I have some news this morning. So this morning I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. So which do you want to hear first? Right. Everybody wants to hear the bad news first, typically. Is that how that works, I think? You're hearing the good news because I already planned this ahead of time, so I asked you, but I wasn't listening. So you're going to hear the good news first. Um, In light of our passage, James 5, 1 to 11, we have very, very, very good news this morning. And the good news is, is that the Lord is coming. Okay, the Lord is coming. And the bad news is this. Uh, The bad news, in fact, is the same. The bad news is the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. We're going to see in James that the Lord is coming. And he says, he speaks of the last days. We hear about in Hebrews 1 to 2, that last days are since Christ died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. Since that day, we are waiting for him to come back. And since that day, we are in the last days. James says, he speaks about a day of slaughter. He speaks about the Lord coming. He speaks about the Lord's coming as being at hand. He says the judge is standing at the door. And so the Lord is coming, and this is potentially gloriously good news and horribly bad news this morning for some of us. So when you hear the Lord is coming, when you hear that phrase, don't be so quick to to say that's good news. Uh, James would say, uh, not for some. The Lord is coming soon, and this is both good news and both bad news. And so let's pray in light of that before we dig into God's word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've already sung that you are worthy of all our praise, and you are. Lord, you alone overcome. And Lord, in light of a a word that's heavy this morning and gloriously good as well, Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to us and move and overcome for some. I pray that today would be the last day that the Lord's return would be bad news. And I pray that it would be gloriously good news today. And Lord, I pray for us that would say today, the Lord coming is good news. I pray, Father, that you'd remind us of how good it actually is. I pray that we would fix our eyes on it. Lord, change us by your spirit. Lord, we're praying that we would see you more clearly from being in your word, that we would trust you more and love you more and worship you more. Father, that we would wait for you. And so, Lord, uh, we just pray right now, would you humble us, Lord? We humble ourselves before you. Lord, would you just keep us free from distractions? Lord, would you expose your word to us that we would see your son? We pray this, Lord, asking for you to do it. If you don't move, we have nothing, Lord. If you're not with us, Lord, Uh, You are who makes us distinct, Lord. We have nothing, so we pray that you'd move. Would you be glorified in all of it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Lord coming soon is both good news and bad news. 
And this brings us to our first of two points this morning. And the first point is this, the coming of the Lord is soon, and this is bad news for the worldly. This is bad news for the worldly. Now, uh, verses one to six are going to flesh that out for us. We're gonna dive into this passage of scripture, verses one to six, and this is a hard word this morning. And we're going to look at three reasons why this is bad news for the worldly. And, you know, as I was preparing, I was, came across a commentary, and uh, it said this, and I thought this was fitting just in preparation for what you're about to hear from James. Uh, the commentator says this, James now launches, speaking of verses 1 to 6, he now launches into a denunciation of the sins of the rich. The words fall like hammer blows, blunt and unsparing. In fact, the denunciation is so strong that these verses are seldom preached on. And we're going to see that the Lord coming soon is bad news for the worldly, and here's three reasons why. The first is this, weep and wail you have stored. Weep and wail you have stored. Look at verse 1, he says, James says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, the rich are those that are unsaved. We've looked at this before in James. It is those that are rich in this world. They are not rich in Christ. We would call them, and I will call them the worldly through this sermon. And he says, the worldly weep and howl. This could be said, weep and wail. It's the same idea. We typically would say that phrase would be more common now. Weep and wail, and why? Well, you can see it. He says, because the miseries that are coming. The miseries are coming. And we're going to see how, how bad that it is. Uh, he says in verse 3, the miseries are coming. Why? Look, he says, they have laid up treasures. That is, they have stored it up. They've heaped it up. They've hoarded it. And the treasure has a description. Look at what he says of this treasure that they have. He says it's rotten. It's moth-eaten. And even, if this were possible, the gold and the silver are corroded. And why is that? The reason is because there's an expiry date on the treasure. The treasure is temporary, and they've been storing it up. And to top it off, look at what James says at the end of verse 3. This is temporary treasure. It's literally wasting away, and it's during the last days. Now, to help illustrate this point and, and still attempting to keep us on track, um, I wanted to share about my daughter's, uh, she's not here right now in, in uh, the service, her hamster. So if you know anything about hamsters, you look at this and you think of storage, hamsters, their character is to store things. Um, her hamster just died a couple days ago, and in preparation for this, I was like, this is unbelievable. She has a new one, so you don't have to feel sad and be distracted the rest of the service. They don't live long anyhow. So uh, hamsters, again, they store, and that's what they do. They hoard. And it was, it was so interesting to see this hamster curled up, and it's now passed away. And there's a pile of food in the corner that it had been storing. And when James speaks of storage, I can't help but think of the question, are you consumed like a hamster in storing treasures of this life? The treasure of this world is like the hamster food. It's not evil in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with hamster food. But the treasure in this life is the same. At the end of the days, it's last days, and at the end, it'll just be a pile. 
That's it. And James says it's rotting and it's corroded. And James actually takes it further. And he says this in verse 3. He says the corrosion, and look what he says about it. The corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh. He's saying this. He's saying it will, it will basically be fuel for the fire of judgment. That's what he's saying. So we might look at these verses and say, well, this is excessive. I mean, honestly, who does this really apply to? Who has this kind of riches? And maybe you're thinking right now of um, the infamous drug lord Pablo Escobar, who apparently lost $2.1 billion a year, a year, unthinkable amounts of money, infinite amounts of money, to rats and mold and water and just lost a bunch of it. And so people are searching, probably searching forever for his lost money. And you're thinking, that person, maybe this applies to. But this is extreme, and there's no way this applies to me. And I would say be very, very cautious, because James doesn't mention 2.1 billion. He doesn't mention amounts of money, does he? He doesn't. He doesn't say, as long as you can keep your net worth below here, you're okay. He does not say that. So don't just think of Pablo. He doesn't say that. Now, if you're looking at the amount of money, you're going to miss the point. The worldly would say, look, it's not wrong to store, is it? Are we supposed to get rid of our dressers and drawers and fridges and garages? I'd say, no. We would agree and say, absolutely not. But it's not so much the storage as opposed to the treasure. The treasure was temporary. And if you're storing temporary treasure and your treasure is not Christ, then James says very clearly, it is very bad news when the Lord returns. Because it is the last days and you've been storing up earthly treasure. And James says the only application for you then, if this is true of you, is to weep and to wail. It was a heavy word. James says the Lord's return is bad news. Secondly, for this, he says, weep and wail, you have indulged. Look at verse 5. He says, you've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fatten your hearts in the day of slaughter. The worldly have enjoyed the good life. There's ever a good life, this is it. James basically says they've got the good life. They've lived in luxury. They've uh, self-indulged. And as a result, he says, figuratively speaking, they have fattened their hearts. Apparently, there's enough in this world to fatten your heart on. What's the heart? So what does he mean by the heart? Well, the heart is this. The heart is basically home base. Okay, the seat of our thoughts and our feelings and emotions, our desires, our actions. The heart is everything. And he's saying, you've been going with all of who you are after the world, and you are fat. Apparently, there's enough to keep you fat. And he says this decision, though, is not just like a bad uh, meal plan. Okay, he doesn't say, like, you've gone gluten-free or you're vegan, and like, what are you thinking? Like, he, doesn't, he didn't say that. He, he didn't say, you went and ate where on the weekend? Like, that's just a bad choice. He doesn't say that at all. He says the choice to indulge in the world is a matter of life and death. James says this. He says, you fatten your hearts, and look at it there. He says what? He says, it's the day of slaughter. Now, I think we get lost in this because we go to the grocery store and we kind of miss the process. If it's the day of slaughter, who is most at risk? It's the fattened calf. If you were an animal and you were plump and it's the day of slaughter, you get the idea. And James is saying, you were prime. 
You are a prime candidate for slaughter, is what James says. Now, the worldly would say, look, is it wrong then to enjoy things? I knew it. Christians don't enjoy things. I'm, not, I'm supposed to be somber as a Christian, and you know, is it wrong for me to enjoy hobbies and job and home, sex, comforts? And as believers, we would say, absolutely not. We agree. But, but if that's your primary pursuit and not Christ, then James says it is infinitely bad news. You've gained weight in the day of slaughter, and when the Lord returns, the only application for you will be to weep and to wail. It's very, very bad news. Third, weep and wail for you have oppressed. Look at verse six. He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, James spoke of this before. He says, you've condemned. So you basically, you've spoken against. You've determined you've better, you're better. You've made it known. You've shown the difference. I'm here, you're here. And he says, you've murdered. And he's probably not speaking of an actual physical murder, but you've taken people out. You've wished that person gone, and now they're gone. You've got rid of them from your life. And he says, why? Maybe because you're the smartest and the strongest and the fastest and the most creative, but most likely because who you've been oppressing. Look what James says. He says it's been the righteous person. And the righteous person isn't striving for the same things that the rich person is, that the worldly person is. And like Christ, they turn the other cheek. They're not going after these things, and it's been easy for you. But either way, if you look back, there's a sense of power. And if you look back at verse 4, look what's said. He, James says, behold. He says, listen up to this. Hear what I'm about to say. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Why does he say the Lord of hosts? The Lord of armies. The Lord of not just armies on earth, but hosts. Every spiritual power, physical and spiritual, he is over and he is the Lord of it. He is the undisputed, most powerful God of the universe. Why does this matter? Well, to illustrate this, I want to bring up a name maybe you've heard of, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was uh, 37 and 0 back in the 80s. He was the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. But no champion keeps his belt, do they, ever. That's why it's exciting. How long can he keep it? And, and Buster Douglas came along somewhere in the 90s, and he was a 42 to 1 underdog, the odds against him. Of all the people Mike Tyson loses to Buster Douglas, it was so sure that, he, that Tyson would win, they didn't even bring ice. They were filling up uh, rubber gloves with water, ice water, to put it on his face. I think it was in the 10th round. Unbelievable. The worldly would say, is it wrong to be first? Is it wrong to be strong? Is it wrong to be quick? Is it wrong to, it's just initiative. We would agree and say, no, it's not wrong. But when it's your glory, your way, for your plan, out of my way, and it's not for the glory of the Lord, then James says it is very, very bad news. Why? Because the undisputed Lord of hosts has heard about it, and he is the Lord 
of the, the father of the fatherless, the one who looks after orphans and widows and hears the cries of his children. And James says, he's heard about it. You think that you're strong. You think that you have power and control and you're going for these things, but the Lord of hosts has heard. And James says, it is very bad news. And your only application in that point is to weep and to wail. The Lord is coming soon, and this is both bad news and good news. Greg Gilbert, in his book called What is the Gospel, um, has a quote I want to read for you, and it'll be on the screen here. He says, To a sinner in rebellion against God and against his Messiah, the proclamation that Jesus has become Lord is terrible news. It means that your enemy has won the throne and is now about to judge you for your rebellion against him. For that news to be good and not simply terrifying, it would have to include a way for your rebellion to be forgiven, a way for you to be reconciled to the one who has been made Lord. That's exactly what we see in the New Testament. Not just the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, but that this Lord Jesus has been crucified so that sinners may be forgiven and brought into the joy of his coming kingdom. Apart from that, the declaration that Jesus is Lord is nothing but a death sentence. So the question then this morning is, what turns horribly bad news into good news? It's the gospel. Do you know what the gospel means? It means good news. What turns bad news into good news, gloriously good news, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, this is the truth of the gospel. We would say yes with James, Weep and wail, the Lord is coming and it's the last days, but unless, and knowing it's not always going to be the last days, one day it will be the days that never, ever end. And if you have faith in Christ and he is your greatest treasure, your great reward, if you are storing up treasures in heaven, then the Lord coming is fantastic news. It is good news. We would say with James, yes, weep and wail, the Lord is coming. It's a day of slaughter, unless, and only unless, you have faith in Christ that he was slaughtered on the cross in your place. He was punished for your sin. He offers forgiveness and eternal life. And now you can serve him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then the Lord coming is incredibly good news. And we would say with James, yes, weep and wail. The Lord is coming. He is the undisputed Lord of hosts. In a world that says whatever you believe is fine, God says, no, there is only one. And he's undisputed. And it is terrifying when he comes back unless in faith he is also your undisputed Lord and Savior. Then it is incredibly good news. It is good news. You can't say it well enough. I feel like I wish I had more soul and I could say, it is good news. And then you'd say, amen. Is, is good news? Amen. This is unthinkably good news. This is unthinkably good news and it's why we are so excited to be in the word here and hear of it, which is why we're so excited to go through a series, a year-long series to show us Christ. Let's look to Jesus because we need good news because reality is the bad news is very, very bad. The Lord is coming. 
So, second and final point is this. The Lord is coming soon, and this is good news for the believer. This is good news for the believer. Four reasons that this is good news for the believer. The first, the Lord is coming. Be patient. James says in verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Why is the coming of the Lord good news? Because we are waiting for the Lord and not someone else. The coming of the Lord is good news because that's who we're waiting for. How long are we to be patient, James says? Do you know how long we're to be patient? Until he comes. And we don't have to be patient anymore because he's here. We wait for the Lord to return, and that is why it is good news. We wait for him. Now, maybe when you hear the Lord is coming, this morning you think, all right, I mean, yeah, that's good news. None of you were like, what, at the beginning of the sermon? Good news, sure. But maybe to you it's more like hearing like Starbucks is coming to Brantford, right? I don't know if you heard about that. Only that doesn't like change your life right now, but Starbucks was coming. Apparently there's a new one now. And maybe hearing that for you is like, okay, cool. And I don't care how much you like coffee, it's not gonna change your life, just so you know. And, and, and for you it's like coming, and quite honestly, no matter how much you like Starbucks, you still have to go to work and it, it still didn't wreck you even in a good way. Now, maybe the Lord coming is also like the person that's at the crosswalk, at the stoplight, and they need to cross, and they're waiting, it's red. And what are they doing? What does everybody do? They're on their phones, waiting. They're waiting for the light to change, but they're distracted in their phone until ding dong, ding dong, and people are pushing them, and now we gotta cross, right? And maybe for you, the waiting of the Lord is like that. You were distracted with life. Yes, it's good. We're waiting for him to come, but you are in your cell phone. You are distracted with life, and you're not thinking on it. And so James says the Lord is coming soon, and we're not to wait like Starbucks is coming. We're not to wait like the guy at the stoplight on his phone. He says, no, he gives us an illustration. He says this. He says, wait like the farmer. Look at verse 7. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. He says, you wait like a farmer. That's how you wait. You wait with purpose. The farmer knows. He knows what's on the line. He's waiting for the rain to come. James doesn't speak about, ah, it's all right, crop insurance. No, the illustration is this, is the farmer knows what's on the line. He's looking in the clouds and saying, is this going to be it? Is this going to be the rain? Is it going to be too much and wash things away? Is it going to sink deep enough and get to the roots? He knows what's on the line, and he knows if it doesn't come, I'm dead. I have no crop. We are dead. Our family is toast. James says, wait like that. Wait like that. The Lord needs to come. If the Lord doesn't come, I'm a dead man. If you are in Christ, if the Lord doesn't come, he needs to come. If he doesn't come, we are dead. As we suffer injustice, persecution, loneliness, the confusion of life, can say, I can only take so much, Lord, he has to come through. And if you don't wait for him, you will wait for something else. You will get distracted. You will satisfy yourself with something else. You will have your head down at the stoplight. Secrets out, I always wanted to be a farmer. Good news. We are to be like farmers this morning. He says we're to wait like a farmer. A believer's life is like a farmer's life. How? We wait. We wait. 
So be patient. The Lord is coming soon. The rain is coming. It is going to be good. Second point is this. Second reason this is good news for the believer is the Lord is close. Be strong. The Lord is close. Be strong. Look at verse 8. It says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. He says, You also. Also like what? You also like the farmer is what he's saying. You also, like a farmer, establish your hearts. He says, strengthen it, meaning like lock it down, secure it, fasten it. Remember the heart? What's the heart, right? Home base, this is thoughts, feelings, emotions, actions. He says, lock that down. You better get that secure because if you don't, the winds are coming, right? You're gonna get shook up. There's gonna be scary times. Waiting is hard. Waiting is not easy. Man, waiting for supper is hard. Right? Let alone waiting for the Lord to return. We've got confusion and pain and, and things that happen to us that don't make any sense. Loneliness. How many times have we been scared even this week? Waiting is hard, and James says, fasten your heart down. That's why you'll hear biblical counselors say, what rules your heart rules your life. You better lock that down. Now, have you ever gone somewhere, in the illustration, maybe you've, you're already getting the idea, James is saying, like, secure the load. You ever gone somewhere, you had a pile of stuff, and you had to lock it down? Man, I have lots of stories, we don't have time, for what happens when you don't lock it down well. It is amazing what can happen in a very short period of time at low speeds, Things get bumped into each other, things snap, things bump, things break. And James says, lock down the load. And look at what he says. He says, here's your main way you're going to do this. Here's the one strap that holds them together. Here's the truck box netting that goes over it all. And this is what he says. He says, strengthen your hearts for the Lord is at hand. Meaning this, the Lord is near. He's so close. He is so close. If your heart is fixed on the Lord, then when the next wind hits, you're not going to be blown away. Remember, James talked about being tossed to and fro. When things feel shaky, you're going to cling to Scripture. When you're blindsided, you're going to remember who He is. You're going to fasten yourself down. He is coming. He is coming. It is good news. He's coming soon. Lock your hearts down on that. Know who He is and wait for Him. Do not wait for something else. Third, the Lord is coming soon, and this is good news for the believers. The Lord will judge. Be cautious. In verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do not grumble, meaning do not murmur. Maybe some of your translations have that. Um, it was internal. If you hear someone murmuring, murmuring, you can't hear the words, but you hear and just grumbles, and it's, it's really internal, which, be cautious then, is hard to pick up sometimes. There's been times in my life I've grumbled forever and haven't noticed it. Why? It's a whole lot easier to pick it out when you were verbally saying something about someone, but when you keep it inside and you're just mumbling, when you're murmuring, this is a heart issue. Isn't it interesting that James says, lock down your heart in the first practical way he says to do it, all right, is to not to grumble against others, is relationship. And if there's anything that you're going to put off, though, for tomorrow, would it not be that? I should deal with that. I should offer forgiveness. I should talk to that person. 
uh, like tomorrow. Why would I do it today? Awkward, right? And James, look at what James says. He describes the urgency to not murmur. Look at the urgency, he says, so that you may not be judged. Is that even possible for a Christian? That you may not be judged. He's not saying you might lose your salvation. There's no way Christ has earned that. It is secure. But you can be judged. And there is a judgment seat. And we are accountable. And James says, do not be left so that you're accountable to how you murmured against your brothers and sisters. It is probably the most tragic irony that I can ever be a part of when I do this. Whenever I murmur against a brother or sister in the Lord and judge them and look down, remember James has talked about this, you're looking down on them from your pedestal. When you do that, you've forgotten something. I've forgotten something. And this is why it's so urgent that we get on this. We've forgotten that our sins are not counted against us. Your sins are not counted against you. God is not murmuring under his breath about you today. He's not. As a believer, we know that your sins against God were infinitely more horrendous than anything anyone on planet Earth could ever do to you, and there's some awful things that people can do to you. There's some awful things that have been done to many, many, many of you, maybe all of us. And there's nothing more horrendous than my sin before God. And when I am forgiven in Christ, who was slaughtered on the cross for me, I for, I, and, and I treat a believer in a judgmental way, I throw it out the door. And it is tragic and it is awful. I need to remember that this believer, this brother or sister is under the same judgment I am, which is forgiven. Forgiven in Christ. James goes on to say, behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's saying, he's giving another illustration to say, this door is like a representation of the last days, of the coming of the Lord. And this door is, is the destination point. That opens, it's over. And he says, look, the Lord isn't just planning a trip to your front door. He's not on the 403 right now, almost there. He's not even just walking up the sidewalk to the door. He's right there. He's right at the door. He says, behold, look, listen, listen to this. The judge is right here. Remember uh, Tim Hamer preached, uh, I think it was two Sundays ago, and he said, where are we right now? I love that. He brought us back and he says, we're not quite in the appendix, but we're just before it. The judge is right here and at the door. Now, in a sense... As believers, this should give us um, a sense of relief. It takes the pressure off. I don't need to get back every penny for my brother or sister. I don't need the apology. I don't, I don't need the favor returned. I don't need you to acknowledge me. I don't need it, even if it's just. I don't need it because the judge is here and he will make things right. I will pursue it, but I don't need it because the judge is here. I'm not the judge. James doesn't simply say, stop murmuring, though. Isn't it interesting that James actually doesn't give examples? He could have. He wrote a letter to people. He could have said, like, Joe, remember what Jim did to you? Seriously. Remember that family said they'd have you over, but they didn't? Remember you shared that thing and they forgot? Remember, Mary, you saw um, Sally at the grocery store and she pretended like she didn't see you? Like, remember that? Um, well, you should probably just get over it. He doesn't say that. 
He just says flat out, stop your grumbling. And he says, why? Because the judge is about to enter the door. And he is good. And he knows. And he sees. And he hears. And he will make it right. So you can stop your grumbling. And you can point that brother or sister to the judge in love, the one that has forgiven you. And here's a side note to this. Isn't it interesting? Be courageous, establish your heart. First way, look after your relationships. One of the hardest things is when you feel alone. When you have the family of God and it's broken, that is Satan's way of destroying us in many ways. When you can restore relationship, when you are no longer murmuring against, you gain so much courage. James knows this, certain of it. Fourth and last, for the believer, the Lord return, Lord's return is good news. The Lord is worth the wait. Be steadfast. Two examples to consider James gives us. The first is the prophets. Look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. A prophet, here's a definition for you. It's not on the screen, but it's one who spoke for God, yes, by foretelling the future. That's typically what we think of when we think of prophets. But it was actually, believe it or not, even in the days of prophecy, it was primarily forth-telling. Not foretelling, but forth-telling. It was forth-telling the word of God interpreted, interpreting the will of God to his people. That's what it was. And James says, consider those guys. Now, if someone is, if their primary job is to foretell God's will in your life, first of all, that's our job as believers in Christ. If that's it, but you get a prophet of God, you would figure you could pick him out a mile away. Big gold necklace, I don't know, Lamborghini, I don't know jeans, new jeans, and they're really expensive, whatever. You would pick this person out because he is like, yikes, he's got it all. He's got the men, I mean, health, wealth, prosperity. Why? Well, he's blessed by God. He's God's mouthpiece. No. It's not at all what he's saying when he speaks of prophets. It's not like the Marvel character that he's getting shot with bullets and people are like, man, oh, he's invincible. How's that possible? Ah, he's, a, he's a prophet of God. Oh, let the bullets continue, right? He's invincible. No. Jesus spoke all throughout Scripture about the blood of the prophets. The blood of the prophets. The prophets were those that lost their life. They were known for suffering. If you are a loner at work, your home, your family, your school, if you're forgotten and mistreated and misunderstood and hated, if you are suffering for the name of the Lord, you are in good company. The Lord is returning Hebrews 11, 33, and I'll have it on the screen for you here, verse 40. And we have in Hebrews 11, the, we would call it the hall of faith, it's been called, and I think that's a fine name for it. You get many believers who are spoken of as having faith in Christ and then their lives described. At, this is kind of the summaration of that then. He gives kind of a summary of what he said, and he says this, who through faith, so believers, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Well, that sounds a whole lot almost like that Marvel comic, doesn't it? Like, wow. And we'd say, yes, blessing can come in this life, but the Lord is coming and our treasure is stored in heaven, and the blessings are not realized here. Look what he continues to say. 
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, stoned. they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, all these, so the ones that um, saw some good in this life and the ones that did not, were commended, they were all commended through their faith. They did not receive, listen, they did not receive what was promised. They did not receive what was promised. They didn't get it yet, these ones that have passed on. Moses, Elijah, Samuel, they didn't get what was promised. And look at verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They are not going to realize fully what's to come until the Lord comes. Isn't that amazing? In a sense, Moses and Elijah and Samuel and the prophets and the martyrs, they're waiting, just like we should be waiting for the Lord to come because it's not over yet. The promises aren't totally fulfilled yet. When he comes, we will be resurrected. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Death and sin and hell, totally, death and sin, done with, hell, renovated, Never again sin will enter the presence of the Lord. It is done. <laughs> the Lord is coming, and it'll be realized, and we wait with the prophets. The Christian life is to suffer and to wait, and it is worth the wait. He gives us last, Job. Look at verse 11. He says, behold, listen up. Hear this, he says. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, when I think blessed, I don't think Job. He's not the first person that comes to mind, quite honestly. But it does to James. Who's Job? Well, Job lost everything, and he lost it so fast that as fast as they could tell him, something else happened, and they told him again, and again, and again, until he had nothing left. Everything was gone, except his wife, who was awful. He was a nag. Curse God and die. Really? Everything but her, Job suffered horrifically. He had friends off the wall. Now Job is top shelf sufferer for certain. Job is known for being righteous, yes, not denying the Lord, though he had many questions. And at the end really said, like, why? Is it me? Like, what's going on? And God at the end doesn't say, oh, you were confused? Here's why. No, he doesn't. He says, I am God. I am awesome. Job, can you do this, this, this? No, no, no. I'm the Lord of hosts. He was restored. Why? And here's, isn't this something? James tells us why. It wasn't because of his character. He was restored. Why? What was the end, as James says? What was the purpose of the Lord in this? We see it. Why? The Lord was showing that he, the Lord, is compassionate and merciful. Amazing. So when you feel like you can't take another thing, when the suffering is top shelf, severe or not, or you have a spouse that's quite honestly just not helpful, you have friends that are unwise, when you think, I'm forgotten by God, what is wrong, Am I, is this because of my past? I just need a couple of answers, and you don't get answers, then you can remember Job and know that God is compassionate. 
when you feel like you're getting, again, punished for your past, or it's too late for you, or it's too far gone, or you know what, I'm a hard soul, and whatever, God. Remember, Job, and remember that God is merciful. God is a merciful God. Steadfastness and patience is the Christian life, and it's worth the wait because the Lord is coming, and the Lord is compassionate, and the Lord is merciful. So to close this morning, I want to leave you uh, with this thought, and because I think the, the text begs this. The Lord is coming soon, and this is good news, and this is bad news. Which is it for you? Which is it for you? We've been praying and prayed this morning before we open up the word that if it's true of you this morning that this is, in fact, bad news, if the Lord comes today, it's horrifically bad news, then hear this, the weight of his return will crush you. When it comes, it will crush you. James says, the Lord is telling us this morning, whoever you are, weep and wail. The Lord is returning, and he will not be your Lord and Savior. He will be your Lord and your judge. James says, weep and wail. You need to know. You need, by God's grace, would you be honest this morning and feel the weight of it? If this is bad news for you that the Lord is coming, then feel the weight of it, and then, and then hear this. The good news of the gospel is good news. The Lord of hosts, who's over all, has conquered sin and death. He's conquered your sin. He sent Christ. Christ was the only person, fully God and fully man, who could do that. That's it. He obeyed the law perfectly. Your substitute on the cross crushed for you, took the, bore the wrath of a holy, mighty God because God is good and God punishes sin. And it's been done for you through his son. And when he rose, he proved it was in fact true and done and he was God and he is God and it's over. And would you hear that and then repent? Feel the weight of weeping and wailing and then repent and come to your God while there's still chance. James says it's the last days. It's the day of slaughter. The Lord is coming. And if you can say this morning then that it's good news, then remember just truly how good it is. The Lord is coming. Wait patiently. We'll make things right Suffer, endure. The Lord is coming and it is good news. Amen? It is good news. Hear that this morning. We hope that you are encouraged by the word of God today as it was spoken to you. For more information about us as a church, you can visit us online at www.harvestbradford.ca.